Before we dive into our episode this week, we wanted to take a quick moment and call out a rising company hiring within customer success. Recent events have impacted the customer success community. We felt it was important to let you, our listeners, know of any positions that are open. Go to intensify.io and check out their career page for a job description of the CSM role posted if you're interested to learn more. I've personally known Michelle Kelly, VP of Finance and People, for many years, and she's building quite the team at Intensify just outside of Boston. They have a really cool SaaS offering and are focused on leading the industry's first intent activation software platform globally. Go to intensify.io, that's I-N-T-E-N-T-S-I-F-Y dot I-O to learn more. Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we will cover all things about sales engineering, customer success, and best practices in the tech ecosystem. Recorded live outside of Boston, MA, here's your host, Gary Sloper. That song is by the band Casino Sunday. Check them out on Bandcamp and iTunes. Uh, great band out of New Jersey. Hello, this is Gary Sloper. I'm your host uh, for the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we talk about sales engineering, customer success, and any other best practices we can find across the industry. I uh, want to welcome everybody here today uh, to our latest episode. Uh, we'll have some some great great points to put in the notes this week uh, based on the guests that we have. Um, and I also wanted to you know just kind of give a quick shout out to all of the sales engineers and CSMs and their leaders right now who have been working tirelessly remotely. Um, I have probably been on more Microsoft Teams meetings as well as Zoom calls, and I know a lot of people are fatigued on that. Uh, but there's some there's some good good things out there right now to to kind of alleviate some of that fatigue. So we'll drop that into the show notes as well. Um, but I know that everyone I think has really perfected their demos. Uh, across Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams, so so keep up at that. Um, a couple of you had, had sent in uh, a, a couple emails saying we're actually glad, Gary, that you're you haven't started a video blog yet because I don't think I can watch or see any more people on the screen. I like to just listen and kind of fade off into a uh, a workout or you know walking outside with my dog. So I don't know. I didn't realize my voice was that soothing. I thought it was probably more annoying than anything, but I'll take the compliment. So thank you very much. Uh, today, I wanted to welcome to the show uh, a good friend of mine, somebody I've known for a while, and somebody that's extremely relevant in this industry uh, on the customer success, sales, and, and solutioning. Uh, his name is Matt Toy. Uh, he is the Director of Account Management at Fastly, and many of you are very familiar with Fastly. They're one of the highest-flying CDN companies, I think, out there uh, globally today, giving a lot of other companies a run for their money and moving into other areas across the, the tech uh, Ether, and uh, it's been very exciting to see their growth, especially you know going public here not too long ago, uh, and and coming out as a as an early startup, and and now being a major player. There's actually an article that came out this week that talked about how they are one of the fastest uh, growing companies uh, where all the employees are remote and working from home today. I think they just surpassed Zoom uh, as part of that prestigious uh, award that was that was written in the article. I'll have to find that, see if I can drop that in the show notes. But Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gary. I'm very excited to be here. And thanks for the uh, thanks for all the kudos to Fastly. We're all very excited uh, with all the goodness that is happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just mind-boggling to, to see the growth and, and see how quickly you guys have started to really take shape, not just in the traditional cloud-native space that I think a lot of 
a lot of uh, the opportunities that that Fastly had been in previously, but a lot, a lot of the larger enterprise opportunities as well. I mean, why don't you talk a little bit about what Fastly's doing and and maybe a little bit about your role and background? But you know, we'll just kind of take it from there. And I think you know the 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 listeners here today would love to to understand a little bit more about the tech, certainly, but but certainly how all that's playing together. So maybe just walk us through some of that. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Fastly is probably best known and probably you know widely classified as a CDN, a content delivery network, um, which is certainly you know what we do and who we are and what our history is is you know primarily around. But you know, in a in a more modern version, in a lot of the the conversations we're having with with customers about what's next and the problems we can be solving for them is is really starting to put. Um, you know things on the ed- on the edge of a network, so closer to the users. Um, I think those are where ways you're starting to talk about. You know, increased performance, increased personalization. Um, the idea that you can you know sort of begin to whether your origin is hardware or your origin is a cloud. You know, you can really start to swing it around a little bit to get to get you know good uh, you know actual performance out of it, but also like good financial performance. Um, out of your network as well, and I think that that's you know really beginning to resonate with folks either in this time because they have way more traffic than they ever expected to have, or they're having you know financial con- they're having to take financial considerations that they never thought they were going to have to. It's it's really we give them we give them some knobs and levers that they haven't had before. That's great, and and you know we all know who the the larger players out there t- are today, and and I'm sure you know that can be challenging at times to go up against some of the 800 pound gorillas in the room. And, and and that's where I think, you know, what, what your organization's focused on with the customers is uh, really important, which I want to get into in a moment. So talk, talk to the, to the listeners a little bit about your background, how you got into this type of a role uh, and, and really, you know, what you enjoy about customer success and account management and, and supporting customers. But I, I like, hearing your story and how you came into technology. And I think, I think it resonates with a lot of folks that have potentially similar backgrounds or folks that are listening that are saying, Hey, I don't know if I, if I could make it into to, to a CSM type of role. So maybe you can walk us through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, let's, I'll go right to the cut, right to the chase. If I can find my way into a customer success role, you can find your way into a customer success role. Um, no, honestly, I, I started first sort of decade of my professional career I spent in finance, and and you know I was on, I spent time at Fidelity Investments. I spent time at a um, you know a regional bank. I spent time at a small investment firm, um, and you know kind of always had this you know vision of you know running a big portfolio and managing assets and you know Gordon Gecko type stuff stuff if you will, um, and then you know the dot-com bubble happened and then 9-11 happened and things in that industry just were a struggle for a long, long time. And I was, I had a new wife and a a house and a young family and we were, you know, trying to figure out what career growth might look like as it looked like it was going to be a pretty, some pretty desolate times. And I made the move into technology in 2004, went to work for an ed tech company uh, here here in New Hampshire. Um, and started off, you know, started off with them on the on the sales side. Um, did a little bit of a stint on in the financial office, but ultimately moved into, um, you know, what we called production services, which were, you know, uh, sales would close a customer and they'd need to get uh, 
onboarded, they'd need to get trained, they'd have to get their you know custom pieces built, um, and then they had to be cared for um, you know after they went live. And and you know in 2005 or six that was called a whole bunch of different things. And today you know we call it customer success. Uh, and you know through the you know, sort of next six years at, at, at Whipple Hill, which was the ed tech company, um, and then made the move in 2011 to a, to a company called Dyn, um, which at the time was a small, you know, sort of 50-person startup vibe, um, you know, internet infrastructure company. Um, started off there on, on running the marketing team, but sort of quickly moved into support and uh, implementation and um, you know, ultimately, you know, built a, a sales engineering team, which then manifested itself into a customer success org and a technical account management org. Um, and we went from 50 people to 500 people. Um, we were ultimately, that's where I met you. And then ultimately we were acquired by, uh, by Oracle. So, um, which, which <laughs> was an experience all in and of itself. I like to refer to it as my, the master's degree that I never got. Um, and then, uh, you know, post acquisition, spent a few years there, and and you know, ultimately about a year ago, um, left the company, and you know, was was excited uh, to to join up with Fastly uh, about six seven months ago now, and uh, um, have really enjoyed uh, you know being there and, and working uh, what th- what Fastly calls account management, but other other organizations may may refer to as customer success because it's really that that post sale. Um, you know, engagement that that kind of starts around the time of, of implementation, but really is that is that ongoing through the rest of the customer lifecycle. Yeah, that, wow, that's that's an impressive background. I I think I learned a few things um, just hearing hearing you speak about that again. So thank you, and and I think there's a couple of great nuggets there that listeners should really hone in on. So one. Uh, you know, using that financial background that you had. And even though there were some dark times, I didn't trust me. I remember those. Uh, I, I, I lost a job at one point uh, right after the dot-com bubble. Uh, the first and only time I ever had to, I think, file unemployment um, at an early age. And, and it's scary, right? And, and I think you're, you're able to take kind of that analysis background, which, which definitely transcends into a lot of the roles of supporting customers, uh, no matter what the, the service is. I think, um, you know, the other, the other interesting piece, you know, that you, that you mentioned is, you, you know, you, you've been supporting customers for a while, but it wasn't called customer success. And, and this is something that I've heard a couple different people talk about industry-wide and, and they get upset when somebody says, well, I've been in customer success for 20 years, but customer success hasn't existed for 20 years. And the person on the other side will say, but I've always supported customers. It was called something different. And I think, I think everybody, I think both sides of the argument are, are partially correct, right? But I guess you would also look at it and say, well, I've been a programmer for 20 years, even though I haven't been programming in Ruby or Python because it didn't exist, you know, 20 plus years ago. At least I don't think Ruby did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, but 40 years ago or whatever, I was, I was working on punch cards, therefore I'm still a programmer. So you, that DNA is still there. And I think that's what, what's really intriguing about anybody that wants to support customers that they can do this professionally and, and whether names change and the metrics come and go, how you support customers will always be there. And I, and I think that's really important what you mentioned that you've just been doing that for throughout your career. And, it, and it's almost like, you know, because there's so many 
documents and best practices around customer success, even though it's still new, like there's a lot of folks really, you know, centered into that area of the business. But it, but I really think that often many organizations forget that um, P2P approach, that person to a per- person approach. I, I don't know what your take is on that. I mean, they're like, well, my metrics say this and my health course score says this. And, you know, my LTV CAC ratios, you know, you know, it's way too high. We're not investing enough in the customer. But, but are you actually having a conversation with the customer? Like, are you actually calling them? Uh, when there's an issue or are you just calling them for a renewal? Uh, are you just sending them emails and Slack and not actually having a conversation? Wh- what's your take on that? Because I think a lot of people can go different ways. I, I feel that, you know, personally, I, I, I think we still have to get back to that a little bit more in this, in this customer success role. Yeah. I, so let me, I'll, I'll go back a little further. I promised though, to answer your metrics question, but you know, I actually think it goes back to what it is you mean by customer success. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, having gone through a job search not that long ago, you know, talking with recruiters, talking with, you know, uh, VCs, talking with boards and founders, it is really interesting to me that that very few people actually mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, I, and I, I think that's just where companies are on their on their growth or in their in their, in their scale, the industry they're in, the kind of products they have, what their contracts look like. Um, you know, I, I loved your P2P because uh, I think everybody tries to, to shove in what the customer success you know, model should look like based upon the fact if they're, if they're B2B or B2C and, and, and kind of figure all this out. At the end of the day, it's like it, there's a human-to-human engagement. And, and I think to get into your metrics question, you know, wh- what is it that your customer success team is and what's their charter? And then build some metrics around it that that maybe aren't board metrics, you know, aren't CAC to LTV, aren't you know, oh, uh, you know, uh, the book by Gainsight says I'm supposed to have 25 accounts per CSM, and you know, we only have 20. Well, if it's a big enough customer, maybe you should only have one. Mm. You know, it's like it's like I think you need to you need to know your business, you need to know what it is your customers require of you and then begin to build customer success metrics around that. How they roll up to the board, and I think you, you, you can figure that stuff out, but um, you know, I, I, it, it, it's a tough answer. We, when I was at Whipple Hill doing ed tech, we, we used to work with uh, uh, prep schools, independent schools, and, and you know, it was funny, every, every school would say, oh, well, we're, we're different because of this or we're different because of that, and it was true. But like snowflakes, every snowflake is different, but it's still made out of snow, right? <laughs> and all of our companies do different things or in different industries and verticals. But at the end of the day, you have a customer, you have a contract, and you know you want them to be using what they bought, and you definitely want to get them to be using more, so they have to buy more. Like get, boil it down to that simple of a, of a of an engagement, and then build your company specific stuff around that. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with what you're saying. And and before I think anybody listening beats me up on, well, we have three thousand accounts and they bill, you know, twenty five dollars a month. How you know, do you really expect us to call every customer? Like I think to your point, every organization's different and you know, you obviously have to learn how to scale and what is the right number. And I and I think you you're you're dead on correct when you say instead of just trying to fit into a number, fit the numbers 
and work with those numbers based on your business. Because to your point, you, you may just only be able to support one customer because of the intricacies and the complexity of that account or, you know, the sheer demand that they're giving you, you know, a certain amount of revenue. Uh, maybe it's, you know, 25% of your revenue as a startup, or maybe it's a significant amount in a region and enterprise level. You can't lose that account. And at some point, you know, you will have that churn probability just based on technology and commodity price changing and and just shifts in the industry so you know how do you continue to to focus on that when it's when it's just that one you kind of have to right you can't you can't go and support 25 other accounts so so i think that's refreshing to hear because you know similar to you you know i've had a lot of conversations you know people have come to me and say hey come work with us and you know and my response is well what is your you know, your customer success model. Well, I need to bring somebody in to, do, to run customer success. I, I need, you know, I'd love for you to run customer success so I don't have to worry about it. And I, and I cringe because I don't know how you feel about this, Matt, but I feel every person in the organization is responsible for customer success. No different than, you know, the, the customer success team, in my opinion, is still responsible in some, in some fashion for sales. And and if and if your leadership, starting with the the leader of the company, does not believe in customer success as a DNA in the business, and you want me or a team to go just handle that, I think I think we're already going to lose. I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I I just don't think it works as yeah, well. I, I, yeah, I, th- I think and maybe even just take the word like success out. Like if you're if they don't believe in the customer, right? Like I've worked at some companies before that you know or worked with companies in the past that like they're like the product is so good that everybody's going to want to use it. Right? You're <laughs> like, well, let's make sure we find the people who want to use it and we keep the people who you want to use it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I actually, I have, I had an interesting uh, story. I was, I, during my interview process, I was I was uh, working with a recruiter who was um, trying to at a secu- place ahead of customer success at a, a cybersecurity company down in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I, I went through probably, you know, my sort of day-long interview process, I went through five or six different people and then finally ended up with like 10 or 15 minutes with the CEO, co-founding CEO, who was this badass dude who, you know, I was very scared of sitting across the table. And we're in this like monster like boardroom and it's just the two of us. It was a little, it was a little wild. But, (laughs) you know, I, I was like, I had heard a different set of expectations from each of the people who I had spoken with throughout the day about what it is that they expected from their peer in customer success. And so I, I sort of had waited for my moment with the CEO and I said, so, you know, what is it that you mean by customer success? And this gentleman got so angry. He had one of those, the like veins in his forehead and I just started to like <laughs> pulsate and throb and I'm like, okay, I'm definitely getting thrown out the window right now. Um, but you know, and he was like, that's what you need to tell me and blah, 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 blah. And, and I, I was, I sort of had had enough. I, I got the strong sense. I wasn't going to get the job at this point. Um, but I said, okay, well just understand that like, if I got this job, I would want to know what my success metrics were, what my success criteria was. And the five people that I just met with all said something different. So maybe you guys need to circle the wagons and figure out what it is you want out of this role as opposed to just hoping it's the silver bullet that solves a bunch of other problems. And the vein went away. He stood up, shook my hand, walked me to the door, and I, that was the end of my interview. About two, day, two days later, I got an email from his, his uh, executive assistant who said, you know, thank you for your time. 
you know, so-and-so really enjoyed meeting you and uh, we'll be taking the job posting down while we uh, figure out uh, a better job description. Um, and I, I think that's just sort of a long-winded way of, of yeah, you, 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 you have to have a vision for what this, what this team of people is and the leader you bring in. Like, I, I, like what is it that they're trying to solve? What, what is the team's mission statement? Um, one of the things that drives me most crazy is in earlier stage companies, that there's a lot of talk around this sort of net negative churn. So the mm. idea that you, you know, you grow 50% in sales and you churn out 5% of your customers and therefore, you know, you have this sort of like 145% net negative churn. Um, <laughs> and like, hey man, more power to you if you can grow 50, 100, 200%, like that's awesome. My brain immediately goes to the, okay, how could we have retained that 5%? And, and I think early on, you have an ability to like outgrow your, your churn issue or you're early in your product and therefore you are sticky, you're new, like you don't have attrition. But as you get older, like you're just going to get some turnover. Companies are going to go out of business. They're going to get acquired. Competitors are going to come into the market, all this sort of stuff. And like, like I, I'm okay with the idea that you like report out one number, but like who's the team of people? And you have a bunch of, you have a head of sales and sales operations. You have all these people who are worried about the, the growth number, but not enough companies are funding the, the churn number. And, and, you know, you and I, Gary, both know that, you know, if you can begin to put in some processes procedure around that, there are ways that you can, you can get ahead of that and you can, you can, you know, have a better number so that in that moment where the sales doesn't hit their growth target or, you do have, you know, a, a, a plateau effect, or something does go wrong, that you don't have that happen, and you have a big hole at the bottom of your growth of your bucket where revenues leaving. Um, you know, I think in my mind, you you need to think about those things equally, um, and th and that's one of the things that that I try to preach whenever I whenever I have the opportunity with a with a leader, or a VC, or, or or an audience like this. So, yeah, I, I I'm on the same page with you. I, I hate seeing a customer leave if I could help prevent that, meaning myself as the company, you know, if it's a, if they, if the attrition happens due to m and I can't help that. If it happens uh, because they are uh, going out of business, you know, very similar, I can't, I can't help that. If it's a product issue that it was such a one-off that would have caused, you know, the complete roadmap to go haywire just to keep you know, that small customer and which would ultimately have impacts for our other customers because the roadmap would be behind. I get it. Like that one's hard. If it's just simply we lost, you know, touch with the customer somehow, or we, we didn't keep our eye on the ball. Uh, we let competitors come in. If we didn't follow through on the tough things that happened, because in every company, there's always going to be something that goes wrong. There's always outages. There's always, you know, sometimes billing issues, no matter, even if we're in this more self-service world, it still happens. And, and, and if we haven't followed through to make that customer's decision really easy to stay, I have a huge problem with it, even if it's 2%, 3%, because to your point, that 2 or 3% has other impacts to the business, not just on the, the top line sales that the CRO has to now meet, but that revenue is so much easier to keep in the business if we've already got that customer. It's so much harder to go acquire net new customers every day, you know, and... 
you know, you can appreciate, you know, you, you were kind of dating yourself, you know, similar to me. Uh, when you got into the industry, there wasn't half as many companies providing services to organizations out there as there are today. More, more C-levels C like CIOs, for example, that I'm, I'm dealing with now, they're product fatigue. They won't call you back. They don't want to talk to you. You basically need to know, know a guy or a gal to get you in front of that CIO. And so if you're just letting that 2 or 3% go, I think it's you know, shame, shame on you. And to your point, it can end up becoming 5 or 10%. Even if your sales or you know, your top line is, is blowing it out, I always feel that you have to dig your well before you're thirsty because you have an, a, a, uh, an event like COVID. Like nobody could have predicted that. And had you kept that extra 2 or 3% uh, annually that continued to fall out, that could have been the difference of other things in the organization that need to be reinvested in, uh, keeping people within the company from leaving, you know, both uh, on their own or through a forced exit or furlough. Like there's just a lot of other implications, I think, when you leave that revenue on the floor. But, but the one that everybody seems to always forget about is that the customer really doesn't honestly want to move unless they have to. There's a compelling reason for both price or, you know, ease of, of making their life a lot easier. Like it, they, they don't want to leave. Like you're, you're basically giving, you're forcing them to that opportunity because everything I just mentioned where they're product fatigue, they're understaffed. The last thing they want to do is now rip something out of your infrastructure and put it someplace else. So it's almost like shame on you as an organization that if you're just letting that go through because your top line sales are just blowing out the door. I just, I don't like it. I think it, I think it sometimes can just be laziness. Yeah, well, and, and to go and yeah, I, laziness is a yeah, yeah. We'll 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 we'll, we'll skip past. Not that. not literally, but you know, like it's no, like no, it's no, a lazy no, I, approach. I, I think it's I think it's a like oh I'll just, well, that's a fine. Give me six more salespeople and I'll just sell my way out of it, right? Like I think there's like because oftentimes you know customer success gets tucked under you know a growth organization or revenue organization, mm -hmm. and you know inherently becomes a second class citizen because you know. Um, I, I had I, when we were at when we were at Dine, the CFO looked at me at one point and he goes, "Don't you love how you know sales you know keeps asking for this, that, and the other thing, but they don't realize yet that you have the biggest number in the company because at that point we the revenue we had and retaining it was a bigger number than the net new sales team was going to bring in, and and like that like you, when you can get to that point where yeah to, to, you know two or three percent is actually a bigger number." on the retention side than it is on the growth side. Like you're like, Oh, I kind of hurt my head to think about it. I think I stayed awake for a couple nights. After that. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think you, you mentioned the, 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 you know, you, 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 you sort of uh, made a joke about those customers, you know, the people listening who have like $25 a month customers who they can't possibly think about like contacting every one of them. Right. Um, I think that's, you want to think about, you know, bucketing your customers, you know, who are your, you know, whether it's revenue or st strategic value or whatever, like who are your high touch customers? Who are your low touch customers? And then who are those customers that maybe don't meet that threshold, but that you need to come up with some sort of like, let's call it a tech touch um, where, you know, you're building a system, whether it's, you know, Marketo or Gainsight or whatever, all there's all sorts of stuff that are out there um, to, to, you know, have a, a like a tech, like, the customer is receiving communications. It's just not coming from a human. Like everybody should be thinking about how they bucket their customers and then, you know, okay, how do I fund this? What does that MRR or ARR look like? What percentage of that do I want to have fund this? Um, 
you know, that's that's a way, um, just a very basic sort of like first pass at, at how you can how you can look at your your customer base. And if you're if you're lucky enough that every customer is kind of created the same, you know, everybody kind of pays the same amount. Um, you know, then then you can then you can really you know put all of your eggs into a single approach. But I, I don't know many companies who kind of fall into that 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 uh, description. Yeah, I agree. And, and the one thing you, you, you mentioned that which I really liked was around bucketing, um, which kind of spawned a, a question uh, was the tech touch. So obviously there's there's tools and those types of things uh, to reach out to customers to you know to, to almost boilerplate, but but also kind of cater towards you know the right communication based on where they are on the journey in your organization but what are your thoughts on we'll call it the the human physical tech touch of we'll say the the solution engineer or the architect somehow reinserting themselves back into you know the customer success life cycle more so to talk about their environment or you know, product roadmap. I mean, have you seen that? And, and what are your thoughts there on having that, you know, kind of like that full uh, life cycle kind of come back to, you know, to fruition from pre-sales back into post-sales? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I, I like to talk about, you know, I, there are like two customer life cycles. Um, I think there's a year one customer life cycle where some portion of your first year is spent onboarding, and and I think you know some companies have a really quick and simplistic onboarding that can take you know hours or days, and then others take you know months or quarters. Um, you know, so I, I I like the you know year one is about getting them on getting a customer onboarded. You know, making sure they're using what it is they signed up for, making sure they know how to use the product, making sure they know how to reach out to get help. Or you know who you know who their sort of points of contact are, and when you when you get to the end of that first year, which in many cases is like the first renewal, like that's when you can begin your sort of like evergreen customer lifecycle. You know that that just you know kind of goes 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 on and on, um, and and uh, you know. I, I, but I don't know. Have you have you ever thought through it in that way before, Gary? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I've what I've traditionally, you know, tried to push, you know, those pre-sales resources to do, which can be tough, but, you know, working with the customer success team on those service reviews and, and having, you know, uh, a five or 10 minute, you know, cameo appearance as part of that to, to just check in, say hello, know that, you know, that, that, that person hasn't left your account, um, Maybe ask them a couple questions about what they're, you know, how they're using the platform or the service or whatever that might be. Or to your point, you know, sometimes these these implementations do take a while. So, you know, how are you within the journey at the moment? Anything that I can answer? Oh, by the way, um, we've we've added this feature to the roadmap that's coming in the next sprint cycle. You had asked us about this a while ago. Just wanted to give you a heads up. And and you know, nothing more than just ha- having that additional resource at the CSM's disposal. So it's not them having to do everything on the account or the account manager, whatever their title might be. And and being able to pull that person back in, because I think that's how those relationships build. But I also personally like that too, because if I look at the transition on accounts, you know, your experience, you've probably seen this, that 
the the resource that probably transitions the most off of an account is a frontline se- seller, right? So um, the least uh, you know person or least percentage to churn off is is the CSMs and SEs or SAs because of their tenure and the accounts that they just continue to support. So they're kind of that constant. And so why not expose that and also, um, you know, kind of build that kind of collaborative culture. And I, and I, I think that a lot of CS leaders, their job is just, you know, focus on the desired outcomes, right? You know, the standard definition, just moving on that, that speed and they'll pull in resources where needed, but having that, that total end to end life cycle that can go back and forth, I think is really crucial, especially right now, if you are, if you're an organization that's relatively new to a company that they've just purchased services from you, um, or, you know, something that could be very complex, uh, just, just, you know, to have somebody that says, Hey, we talked about this during our design session, you know, is this the part, this is the stage where, you know, from a success standpoint that I start to, to look like X, Y, and Z in my platform. And that's where the SC says yes. And, you know, if you remember now, it's also a double-edged sword in my opinion, because, you know, the customer loves having those resources. So the next thing you know, you know, they want, uh, you know, Jane, the, the uh, solution architect to be on every call. And Jane can't do that. She can't scale. She has to focus on frontline revenue. So I think that's where, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you also have to really balance that. But also this is where I think some of the metrics do come into play. Like how, how much time are you spending post-sales versus pre-sales? Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like that's still in its infancy with the, the formal customer success practice because not enough people kind of join that together. And that's really the genesis of this podcast is yeah. taking those two together and saying, hey, we're not really separated. We're actually one and the same. We just have different titles and responsibilities. But at the end of the day, our job is to care and feed for these customers. Yeah, and I think it depends a little bit on where you are in your in your in your like company's journey. If you're if you're early on, I think you just sort of like anybody who think who would be valuable to the, a positive customer outcome gets involved, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and if you need to pull an SE in post sale, or you need to bring them in for the renewal, or they're the one that happened, like you just do it. Um, I think as you get big, I mean, you think about like where we were at Dyn before we got acquired or even our time at Oracle or, or where, where, where I'm at with Fastly, you know, like there are paid for resources like uh, technical account managers or, or, you know, paid solution engagement people who like that's who the, the sales engineer like needs to like hand the baton off to mm-hmm. um, because you, you don't want to like confuse the customer as to like who they should be talking to when. Um, but what you need to be doing behind the scenes is making sure that there is some kind of a seamless handoff, you know, technical handoff or, you know, that so that it is well understood, uh, you know, what they have, what they're trying to accomplish, who the main, you know, like um, in almost the same way you're going to do it from a from a seller to a to a CSM or an account manager. Like, I think you need to do the same thing technically. Mm hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And um, I feel like that's that's sometimes it's just like, oh well, you know, uh, they're a technical person; they'll figure it out. And it's like I, 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 I actually have seen more. I, I love notes from sales engineers more than I love notes from sellers because they happen to be more complete <laughs> and actually <laughs> can, you know have much more detail. And and you know the same can be true post sale. Um, and and you know the account manager is busy you know, leading a dialogue and, 
you know, trying to talk about this thing or that thing, and they're they're not paying attention to the to the finer points, and you know, inevitably the technical account manager or you know the solutions person is there, you know, kind of capturing all the necessary detail. Um, like, you know, how do you how do you not lose that as this as the as things as things change and and uh, you know, kind of morph in, in inevitably morph in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And and one thing you mentioned too, just around uh, you know the roles. What are, what are your thoughts? I was just sitting here thinking, you know, based on your your answer, you know, I see this often where companies will say we're hiring a CSM, and when you peel back the role, it has nothing to do really with the the core CSM practice that exists today. It is a post sale technical engineer that has to turn the customer up, whether it's you know, uh, software configuration, maybe it's a hardware configuration, probably not as much, but I, I've seen this where, you know, organizations are, you know, especially in the SD-WAN environment, they're, they're saying, yeah, we want to, we want to build a customer success team, but it's really a former solution architect or a solution architect-esque background that will actually go turn the knobs and, and dials for the customer to get them up and running. What, what are your thoughts that have you come across that where somebody really kind of skews that, you know, what, what customer success we all believe it is versus what they're actually trying to hire. I mean, I know you mentioned that, you know, when you were interviewing for the, for the leadership role, but I'm talking about more at the individual contributor. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually, it drives me a bit batty actually. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a keep it simple, stupid kind of, kind of an approach to things. And, you know, like I'm, I'm all for calling a role what it actually does. Uh, it's okay if it reports into the customer success organization or, but like, you just described, Gary, you just described a, a, a customer engineer, mm-hmm. right? Um, so call it customer engineering or, or, you know, if you need somebody to run renewals, like say it's renewals or if you need somebody to actually onboard and implement a customer, like call it that. Um, I think this like big umbrella of customer success is, is, is conf- like when I first got upset about customer success being used in vain is when I first started seeing uh, co- companies rename their account management or their sales teams to customer success people. Because mm. um, I'm like, no, that's sacrilegious. Like, right. these are people that are meant to sort of like, you know, uh, retain and, and, and care for. This isn't like a net new a- activity. Um, I've come around on that quite considerably. Like, I think there is an ability, if done right, you know, that, that customer success person can easily uncover revenue opportunities, mm-hmm. um, without it being, being salesy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, call the role what it is and not only, you know, I think you're going to save yourself a lot of time and headaches in the, in the interview process. Cause you're going to not get every Tom, Dick and Harry applying. You're actually going to get the right kind of candidate applying, um, and, and be able to go from there. Yeah, I, 100% on the same page with you. So I had this exact conversation with the company about two weeks ago. They wanted my advice, just help them out quickly. And this is part of the reason why I asked the question too. And if they're listening, they'll know, they'll get a <laughs> chuckle out of it. But you know, I said, it's okay to call them an engineer, but call them a customer success engineer. You could still call it, to your point, they could still be part of the customer success team. It's no different than a sales engineer and a solution architect two different practices, one very highly skilled, focused on a particular subject matter expertise generally, and a sales engineer who can d- generally be more of a generalist. 
And it's no different at the, the CSM or CSC level. Because of your technology, you do need somebody that, to your point, Matt, call it what it is, somebody that has to be extremely technical, hands-on, and, abil- and have the ability to make that customer get from a piece of paper that they just signed or maybe a DocuSign and, and move them to implementation. And your CSM team does not have the skill set. It's not their fault. That's just not their background. Hire the customer success engineer, but still, you can still call them that. And, and, and because what you end up doing is you, you burden the system, right? Your, your, your talent team is now getting inundated with CSM CVs of, of folks that fit a traditional CSM role, but they don't understand that they have to get on a command line interface and really get a customer up and running. Like that's not part of their skill set. Um, but, but I think it does lend a, an opening, you know, when you, when you're, when you do have the ability to kind of have different practices there, you know, is that something that you build a career path for? So somebody that comes in as a CSM, you know, and they may not have all of the, the technical chops just yet, but is that something that, that you could build as, as a, as a practice? I mean, what, what's your experience, you know, kind of, you know, taking somebody and saying, okay, now, you, you know, we've blessed you, you're a CSM and you get, you get your training and on the job training, but how do you kind of build that career path? Because on the SE side, a lot of the questions and topics we've talked about on prior episodes is how do I get to become a sales engineer? How do I get into that practice? Cause I can't go to school for it and you know, there's no training for it per se. So how do I go and become a successful SE because everybody wants to hire somebody with experience, but you can't get experience without being hired. So how do you, how do you balance that? You know, as you're building teams, you know, I know we kind of went off topic, but I think it's, it's one that we really should dig into. Yeah, no, it's one, you know, I, I like to build, I like to refer to them as farm systems, you know, so like what's your way into the door at a company? So I, I'll go back and talk about Dyn because it's actually the place I've, I've been able to sort of like complete it in its, in its, in its most complete way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way in the door was to support. There were three levels of support, um, you know, and as you got better, more technically competent, you moved up. At the end of the support line was you could either you know make the move into management or you could you know make the move into another technical role like sales engineering or uh, technical account management or into move into the NOC or into straight engineering, um, and and I think it's it's like understanding that you know not every sales engineer is going to want to be a sales engineer forever. Not every support person is going to want to be a support person forever. So what what are the paths that you can build in it? And I don't think you always know what somebody's strength is until they're like in a job and they're doing it. Um, and and you know we're starting to do something at Fastly called eighty twenty, um, which is is it's almost like a way to intern for a job, like when you're already employed at the company. Um, you know, so you be you know fright, say you were a you were an account manager, but you had an interest. Um, and maybe going into you know um, the 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 uh, PMO org, where you mm-hmm. spend twenty percent of your time essentially on loan into the PMO yeah. org, like a job share experience. Yeah, getting some exposure, like do, like. And so I think you have to be you know as a company you have to have a willingness. I I always say, and, and my team gets sick and tired of me saying it, but I like to say, I want you to be moving up in my in my org. And if I can't get you the opportunity in my org, I will help you get the opportunity somewhere else in the company. Mm-hmm. And if the, the opportunity doesn't exist somewhere else in the company, then I'll be fully supportive of helping you get that opportunity someplace else. But you have to put at time and effort into finding that path. 
whether it's in your team or in your company. And and I think I think sometimes like we celebrate a little bit like yes, we hired that person, awesome. And then you sort of stop thinking about what it is they're they're gonna do next, right. because you're like yeah, they're a sales engineer and they will they will you know that's they're filling my role. Well, you're gonna always be replacing that sales engineer if they can't see some kind of excitement to go do the next thing. Um, so I, yeah, I think I think you need to be it's something you need to be sort of thinking about and plotting uh, on a pretty in a pretty regular way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. I, I feel as leaders, you know, it's really our job to serve the individuals that are on our team, not that they're there to serve us, right? And <clears throat> I, I, I really feel that if you can do everything within your company posture to give them every opportunity to grow, then that's your responsibility. Because if somebody is extremely unhappy in their role, they're going to leave. And if you are too self-centered and self-conscious that if you provide somebody wonderful opportunities that they'll leave or surpass you, then shame on you. You shouldn't be in leadership anyway. I think most people want to go work in an environment and work for somebody that they want want to be able to run through a brick wall for them generally, right? Like it's not always sunshine and rainbows, but but I think as leaders in, in these types of roles, we have to give them every opportunity for exposure for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's what we would want. It, it's what we want in our roles. Like what else can I do as a leader or individual contributors? I grow like I, I want my boss and my leadership to be looking out for me. So why wouldn't I do that for somebody on my team? But, but I think second, I think, you know, you, again, you brought up at the beginning of your discussion of who you are and how you came into this industry. It, it's all about your background. So if you've just continued to only just be in customer success, focusing on you know, three or four things that the company has asked you to do and, and we're not investing in you to grow, those experiences might become outdated and can't help us as we start to morph into something else to support our customers. And I think that's a huge shame in the industry. So, I, you know, we, we should be looking for those junior folks. To your point, pull them out of support. I mean, I, I think I think support, sales, and being a waiter or waitress are like the jobs that every individual who's come out of college or high school should have before they go into their career because it teaches you, um, you know, a little bit different uh, empathy and compassion and uh, a little bit of humbleness of, of being in those roles because when you're in support, you're going to hear angry customers. Nobody's going to call you up in support randomly at 10 o'clock at night saying, I just want to chat with you and tell you how much I love your company. Nobody ever does that. It's always, hey, it's Friday night. I'm down. What the heck is wrong with you guys? Fix this. And, and, and you know, same with the other roles. Like It's not always the most glamorous, but that's how you kind of build up that callus and that experience to, to allow you to grow. And if you as a leader are not trying to expose that, even if you don't have the next dream job for that person, try to find projects or other things that would, would allow them to be exposed in other areas. And I love what, what Fastly's doing. I, I We had this at CenturyLink where you would go, I think it was almost six months. And most organizations didn't like to let somebody go for six months because you're, you're, you're sending away top talent and you're receiving top talent from somebody else's organization who has zero skill set to replace the top talented person. So sometimes it can almost be like this land grab where people would say, oh, I don't really want to do this. I like the eight, that, that 80, 20 rule. Cause it's not a permanent move temporarily. You still have that person back, but man, I, I, I'll guarantee it opens up 
your employees' eyes when they start seeing, wow, this is what our product engineering team probably does in Fastly. I, I knew that they worked in these crazy environments, but I didn't understand that it was this complex. And then if it was a product engineer, they came into the sales side and said, wow, customers are really tough to deal with. Like, yeah. you know, I thought my product was awesome and they don't just buy it. Like they, I thought sales was easy. You know, so that's really interesting. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite things was when at Dine, when we would, you know, we would promote someone who had come up through the, through the support ranks, would get promoted into another part of the business. Um, like literally the head of the guy who ran support and I would like high five and we're like another customer centric person in, in another team in this company. You know, just we love to get that customer idea, that customer centricity you know, as far and wide within the company as possible, because it actually ended up making our job that much easier. So. Yeah. Well, and, and you as a, as a leader, right, it, it always makes you feel good when you see an employee grow and go on to other roles and maybe even future leadership roles. To me, I'd rather have that than get some award or a president's club trip for me personally. I actually just, I enjoy helping people and I enjoy seeing people grow when given the opportunity and it has nothing to do with, with me. It has to do with the opportunity that they seized. And I think that's our, that's one of our biggest job is removing those obstacles for those folks to, to succeed. So, yeah. And you know, I, I've, I've, I've said this a couple of times. I, I don't know if you've ever heard me say it, but there are three people um, that have, have worked for me um, or if in an org structure under me um, that I have said, I'm going to work for them someday. Like I just, you know, like I've seen it and I'm like, how can I inspire and enable this person to, to, you know, achieve everything they can um, so that we can be, we, you know, they can be, they can achieve everything I think they're capable of. And, and, you know, I joke, but Kyle York, who I have worked for before was the first one I ever had that thought with. Um, And I'm just simply waiting for the other two to get far enough along in their career so that I can ask them for a job. <laughs> well, I mean, it, but but that's also it, it. It shows your ability too, right? Because uh, it, your ability to you know put your ego in check and say it's not about me. I'm not going to suppress somebody, and you know you being able to eventually then work for Kyle at Dine and and do all these other great things. I mean, that's just a testament to kind of the DNA that you've had. So I think if if more leaders, especially in CS, because it's been tough. I mean, you, you've seen you've seen what's been going on in the customer success industry across a lot of these companies we know. It, we've been taking a beating, right? We've seen a lot of a lot of folks laid off over the last few months due to the economy and other uh, complexities in the business, you know, some based on business models, but but CS has really taken a hit. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? Because I I've always felt that you, you really need to stay close to the customer and there's, there's always these positions, you know, companies don't ever, you know, reduce sales unless they're not hitting their number. They don't just let go of their top performers. Um, it usually is the same thing on pre-sales. I really feel that, you know, with some additional time and maturity in the industry, I think that third pillar ends up being, hey, you don't touch customer success. Like, I, no, no offense to any of my friends in marketing or finance or some of these other roles, but you touch them first. You don't touch those three pillars because without them, then we're, we're not going to grow. We're going to have more attrition. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I, I think maybe what's happened in some of these cases recently is that 
you know, the, I, I'll go back to one of my earlier comments. Like, what was the mission statement for that customer success team? You know, were they misaligned to revenue? Were they misaligned to the customer? Did they appear to be kind of an overlay mm -hmm. um, org? You know, I think that's that's some of what you know CS leaders need to fight for is you know the right the right leveling the right expectation within the company. Um, um, and you know, if you can get yourself attached to the customer, yes, but attached to the customer's revenue, now you're sticky. Now you're properly in line. Now you're you know untouchable from a, from when there's a reduction perspective because you know nobody wants to disrupt the revenue part of their business. So. So getting back to your snowflake reference, become sticky snowflakes. Sticky snowflakes, yeah. <laughs> the, the big, wet, sticky snowflakes, right? Um, no, but it's, you know, again, I, I think it, it customer success means so many different things. And, you know, without a single, like sales, like it's hard to like mess up the definition of what a seller does, but it's, it's or support, right? But it's mm -hmm. still, success is still pretty broad. And, and, and you know, I, I think, you know, I've even seen it in trying to hire um, for positions like somebody comes in and they're like, oh, I've actually never owned an uplift number. They're like, they've just been in renewals. Or, oh, I actually have just, I'm pretty technical. I've actually helped customers onboard, right? Like, I think I think that that's part of what success is so new, relatively new, that it's still getting itself figured out. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're going to see some of these, you know, disruptions happen in the industry just as time goes on because companies are going to be like, Oh yeah, we, we did that wrong. Let's start again. Um, right. Thing, so. Yeah. Well, and I think to that point, sometimes, you know, your strategy just like similar to sales, sometimes your strategy and customer success is not on point and it's okay to say, Hey, we made a mistake. Let's course correct and make some changes now. Cause if, if you keep going down the same path, uh, you'll get the same results, right? Um, definition of insanity. And unfortunately your customers are impacted and, you know, there, there goes your churn, there goes your growth. And, and so it's okay to fall on the sword. It's okay. Well, um, that or, you know, it's companies bend and morph over time. You get new products, you enter new markets, you do different things. Like it may require a different kind of skill set or talent than you've had on the bench historically. Um, and like to not admit that is, is, is even worse than, you know, admitting it too late. So exactly. You're right. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're getting here close to the end of time here. Um, so how can folks reach out to you? Is, is LinkedIn the preferred method? Like if people wanted to, to touch base and ask you some questions, like what's the best way to find Matt Toy? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all over. I'm worldwide, Gary. So, um, but yeah, I think LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn is, is probably the best way. Um, you know, I have some very non-existent social media platform or profiles. Uh, that's probably not the way to do it. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is the best. Um, I, I, I love to engage with folks, love to have all sorts of conversations. And, and I think one of the things I've, I've seen in this, you know, success uh, community that, that is being built is there's a lot of desire to sort of share and be collaborative and, and help people out. Um, and I'm, I'm fully subscribed to that. I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I've, I've gone looking for help at times and I'm always willing to offer help. Um, if what I have is, is, is useful. Well, thank you for that and, and attending the show today and for everybody listening, find Matt toy on LinkedIn. He's M toy five. So he's the fifth Matt toy apparently on LinkedIn. Just kidding. Uh, but, but link in with him, uh, check him out. 
Uh, he's doing great things over at Fastly, and uh, he's always willing to help. Matt, thank you very much. We're, we're going to have to have you on again because I, I feel like I, I could talk to you for hours. Well, we'll, we'll I, I'll come back anytime you want me. All right, great. Well, thank you very much, and we will catch you on the next episode. Take care. Chucking head on the tube, trying to